It's ट्वेंटीडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडेडे
for the first 15 overs needing over 12 runs per over in the last 5 overs and somehow from somewhere get 20 runs or one over and seal the deal if that's how it's going to be and that's how the two semi finals were then why do we even need to have a match let's give the trophy to the finalists or to the team winning the toss whoever whoever wins the toss between australia and new zealand on sunday evening and just say okay you won the toss you will obviously bowl first and then why do we need to have the match let's just give you the trophy and that's how it should be but the two semi finals were as it was expected to be it's often often said that lightning doesn't strike twice but the australia pakistan semi final was a repeat of the same game which happened 11 years ago then it was a relatively unknown michael hasik he was known among his team members and his country but he wasn't known outside the australian setup yes he had been playing for 5 years but when he hit 24 runs against the spinner in that match when australia were chasing over 190 runs he became a household name beyond the australian shores and that's how you become popular you are a known player till 2010 michael assi was not drafted into the indian 20 over domestic competition it was only around 2010 when he was given an opportunity till 2010 he was a semi fringe player as far as australia and overall is concerned and then suddenly he was he was given this term mr cricket but that's then 11 years later history repeats itself australia need as always 12 runs to the over they are 96 for 5 steve smith gone mitchell marsh gone david warner gone aaron finch gone and glen maxwell gone 5 for 96 80 runs needed of the last eight overs and you think the game is in the opposition's hand then come two lesser australian batters with respect to the five batters who were dismissed wade and stoinis take australia into the final so it was the m and m show it was the marcus and the matthew show which means after Daryl Mitchell, a relatively unknown, he was known only in this tournament. I knew him before, but he hadn't performed. And then he gets a chance to open. And when you are a makeshift opener or a temporary opener because you don't think your other openers or can do the job, it was a gamble. It was. as if new zealand bit the bullet by telling daryl mitchell we want you in the team and the only way you can be in the team compared to what we have in number 4 to number 7 or from number 3 to number 7 you're not fitting there let's get you to open and then the whole rugby story 
his parents being rugby players and rugby being a more popular sport as far as New Zealand, Australia and South Africa is concerned. But that's for the newspapers to go crazy over. That's not for this particular show. So yes, if it was Daryl Mitchell opening the batting, who did it in the semi-final against England, along with Jimmy Nisham, New Zealand went into their first ever 20-over World Cup final and then they joined India as the only team to be in all the three finals. And then they have a chance after what happened in 2019 of all the controversial rules. Everyone has been harping on those controversial rules about the 2019 boundary count, the super over being tied and what not happening. So don't be surprised if in 2022 this new guy, Daryl Mitchell, and all the hype surrounding him gets a contract for the Indian 20-over domestic World Cup in the draft pickup next year. He will get it because that's how we do it. Michael Hussey did it at the age of 35, 35 and a half in 2010. He played for around four years from 2010 to 2013. So why not this guy? He will be in the draft. Which team picks him up? An older team between Bombay, Delhi, Calcutta, Punjab, Rajasthan or one of the newer teams in Lucknow and Gujarat or Ahmedabad. I don't know but he will be in that list. Matthew Vedu was also there and thereabouts as far as the Indian 20 over domestic World Cup was concerned will now be a part of that draft pickup or a direct pickup whatever or part of a new pool he'll be there he has been doing this for the past 10 years everyone knows a certain Matthew Wade has been part of the Australian team since 2011 but until this performance he had been performing well but this was a World Cup stage this was against an overhyped Pakistan team, that's one thing we have to remember. That the two teams who were hyped the most in this World Cup lost to two teams who were doing well but were never considered finalist pedigree. So here we are, two teams, Pakistan and England, favourites winning all their group matches. Well, let me tell you. Winning the group matches and winning the semi-final and final are two different things. If you look at how England and Pakistan went about winning their group matches, they had easy matches. And the moment you win all your group matches in a facile manner, in an easy manner, without sweating, without being under pressure, though England was under pressure in the last match, it showed their vulnerabilities in the last match against South Africa when they failed to chase 190 and lost the match. But apart from that, England were 4-0 till that match. A neighboring country, Pakistan, were 5-0. And everyone said, favorites, great wins. Who did the win come up against? They had a bit of luck against New Zealand. 
इंडिया एंड अफगानिस्तान एंड एंड स्कॉटलैंड एंड नमीबिया विद ड्यू रिस्पेक्ट टू स्कॉटलैंड एंड नमीबिया नेवर गोइंग टू बी मच ऑफ ऑपोजिशन इन टर्म्स ऑफ हाउ द टू टीम्स और हाउ द टू कंट्रीज प्ले द स्पोर्ट सो येस द मूवमेंट यू गो इन टू अ ग्रुप गेम वेर यू हैवेंट स्वेटेड योर बैटिंग बॉलिंग फील्डिंग हैजेंट struggled or hasn't been put under pressure and that's how this sport is and the moment the semi final came all the players who performed till then did not even contribute once in that context let's talk about how cricket is supposed to be a gentle person's game in the context of david warner's double bound six everyone said in the post match show how that was a wrong decision by david warner to even try that shot well let me tell you the umpire also added to it by giving it a no ball and a six the umpire could have easily said no it's not right it's unfair to the bowler i will give it a dead ball or it will be an illegal ball which means it won't be counted but the umpire the batter took advantage of the loophole because that's what you're supposed to do in a sport you're supposed to take advantage of these rules the question is why was there why was such a rule in the first place before you go after the batter why did we have such a rule in the first place because once you have a rule what is the rule making or the technical committee doing they talk about spirit of the game well when 90% of the rules are in favor of the batters wides no balls full tosses going in favor of the batters which happened yes there so many full tosses should have not been no balls then you cannot talk about spirit of the game or it being a gentle person's game the batter did nothing wrong he took advantage of the loophole the umpire should have taken a call should have said no that's wrong the umpire helped the batter and said sorry mr bowler it's a double bounce the batter takes advantage of it gets a six gets seven runs of one ball the umpire also gives it a no ball and a free hit it's different that the free hit doesn't go for a six or a boundary and just a single but those seven runs could have made a lot of difference in the end so yes before you blame the batter for doing that blame the rule making committee or the technical committee or the bylaws committee or whoever makes the rules because only after such incidents happen that we suddenly wake up which is baffling i saw so many so called experts admonish the batter for what the batter did well the batter did what the batter is supposed to do the umpire should have done something what is the umpire there for then and the umpire is nothing more than a statue i would rather place robots in place of the umpire and there would be no difference if umpire is supposed to be human beings but then it's done so many things could have happened in that context so yes the semi the final is set up and this is how the match went So the final scores for the semi-final were England versus New Zealand. England scored a decent 
166, you can always say 15, 20 runs short. In a semi-final, 100 is, is a good score. And New Zealand, with a bit of luck, taking advantage of the situation and what not, pressure on the fielding team, chase down a target of 166 with one over to spare with Jim doing the job he is supposed to do. It's nothing special about what Jim did. It's expected of people like Marcus Stoinis, Hardik Pandya, Glenn Maxwell. It's expected of them, Mitchell Marsh, to do this. If you're coming at number 6, you are supposed to do this. It's your job. You're supposed to come and hit 20 of 10 balls with 3 sixes, 4 sixes, whatever it is. If that's what you're paid to do. You're not coming at 20 for 3. You're coming at a situation where you need 60 runs of 4 overs and that's your job. So I don't think what Nisham did was anything special. Yes, for the Australia game, Australia were in a good position. Then they slipped to 96 for 5 after 12 overs. But I knew, having seen enough games, that I'm not, I wasn't surprised by how this game went. We had praised our neighboring country for doing well in terms of bowling, batting, fielding. But they weren't against a good opposition. They somehow managed to gloss over New Zealand and India in a relatively facile manner. Which means against Afghanistan, Scotland or Namibia, they never had any kind of pressure defending or chasing a score. So when the moment arrived, maybe it would have been the other way around. If New Zealand was defending 160 and if Australia was defending 170, it would have been the other way around. You would have had England and Pakistan in the finals. So, that's how it is. Win the toss and just hand them the trophy and that's how this is. But before we go further and discuss something slightly different, let's take a short break. media and pseudo experts would put it this is a 2015 world cup repeat but the slight difference is that there will be a new champion nothing surprising about it and this reminds me of the india sri lanka 2014 final in which a certain player hit 11 runs of 21 balls from india's side 
and India who could have scored 150 easily just were restricted to 130. So which team has the momentum? And when you reach the final, at least one team is assured of a gold medal. The other team is assured of a silver medal. So it's as good as it gets. It's, it's a close call. But whichever team wins the toss will bowl first. The batting team knows that we both teams have won by chasing so far. So now... Whichever team defends, know that the other team will chase well. That's what baffles me. Both teams have won by chasing. One of them will have to bat as far as the match is concerned because that's how this sport is played and that's what baffles me. Let's say New Zealand bats first, bats first and gets to 170. And Australia chases it down. We'll say, wow, what a brilliant chase by Australia. What planning Good choice on winning the toss, blah, blah, blah. Let's say New Zealand wins the toss and bats and, and bat second, which means bowls first. Australia somehow get to 160, 170. Then New Zealand chases it down despite having good bowlers on both sides. Then we'll say, wow, what planning. What smart thinking. And they deserve it. Both teams deserve their first ever champion 20 over champion trophy and that's how it will be and that's what will dilute this entire thing but that's how it is who wins well win the toss win the match as simple as that it doesn't matter if the team batting first gets to 200 the team chasing might do it in 18 overs due factor and all you need is one hour to go for 20. Both teams are aware of that. That we took advantage of a situation. Had a couple of sixes go our way. Had a couple of strange repeats. What are the repeats? I'll talk about that later. And somehow we chased it down. So the irony is both the teams know this. If we defend, we are definitely in trouble because the chasing team will somehow chase it. So how do they go about planning it? If either of the teams had defended, they would have planned better. Now both the teams have chased, which means one doesn't know how will they defend. And somehow New Zealand or Australia managed to defend whatever they score. Like it, it happened in the domestic World Cup final in the match between Chennai and Calcutta. We'll say poor chasing. What defending? What planning? So, there is nothing new in this. But enough on that now. Let's shift to something else. Some other discussion. So, the team for the 20 over tournament versus New Zealand has been selected. And a few things really have irked me. Yes, the Hartek Mande situation was baffling. He's been dropped from, from this team. A few players have been rested. If you look at the lineup, no Kohli, no Bumrah, no Shami, no Shardul Thakur, no Jadeja. They have been rested because they have because there's a full tournament in South Africa coming and so many things happening. But they have retained Rohit and Rahul. Rohit is a full-time 20-over captain. They've added Shreyas Ayer from the reserves. 
they've kept Rishabh Pant, who will most likely, according to rumors, be rested from the test tournament. But the whole Hardik Pandya situation baffles me. I don't think it's his fault as much as it is the fault of the media, the selectors and the board in itself. Because once upon a time, we had overhyped this player who came with such a bang in 2003 in the form of Ifan Patan, a 19-year-old prodigy. The all-rounder we are looking for. 10 years post Kapil Dev's retirement, we have been looking for so many all-rounders. He came till 2012, till the age of 28, he was a part of the team. Yes, injuries were also a part of his career. He wasn't there for the 2011 World Cup. He came back in 2012. By the time 2013 came, he was done. And Hardik Pandya, strangely from the same city, is going in the same direction. I don't think Hardik Pandya's situation has been badly managed. He didn't badly manage it. He didn't contribute much because he didn't get a chance. Let's be sure. Yes, he could have made more runs. And that 23 of 24 against New Zealand must have angered a few so-called board officials and selectors and all the people involved. But everyone in that match scored slowly. So why target him? He should have been a part of the team. This would have been his resurrection. Instead, he is not part of the team. He is dropped while others are rested. I am really annoyed at the way they have treated him. And it could be a possibility that once again, like Irfan Patan from the same city, Hardik Pandya may find himself out of the team's favour, which is baffling. Of course, he didn't do well in the domestic World Cup. He didn't bowl in the domestic World Cup. It's fine. So what if he doesn't bowl? I can give you so many examples. There's Daryl Mitchell we all love. He is supposed to be an all-rounder. He doesn't bowl, yet he is part of the team. Yet he is there. But no other country would hype this so much. Yesterday, neither Mitchell Marsh nor Marcus Toynis bowled. They are supposed to be fast bowling all-rounders. They didn't even bowl two overs when the likes of George Hazelwood and Mitchell Stark were being smacked to all parts of the ground. They could have been the buffer to kind of somehow manage it but they didn't bowl. They could have bowled between Maxwell, Marsh and Stoinis. But the captain didn't bowl his two all-rounders. And it was these, these two individuals who took the team. And yet we question Hardik Pandya not bowling. I mean, that's the most ridiculous and idiotic defense I've ever seen. And I'm not in favor of it. But the players selected... Still surprised there is no left-arm fast bowler. That really annoys me. But the players who are there, they are good enough. And of course, the whole Venkatesh Iyer situation coming in from the obscurity, only taking up cricket in 2017-2018 and suddenly being part of the team and a few former experts questioning his inclusion. We can debate on that. He is that all-rounder we are looking for. Well, I don't know how does that work. But I blame the cricket board for the Hardik Pandya situation, not the ball himself. Injuries, I've seen worse injuries happen.
and yet they are part of the team. Daryl Mitchell doesn't bowl, he is part of the team. Stoinis and Marsh did not bowl, nobody questioned that. Yet Australia got away with six bowlers, with Hazelwood and Stark being smacked to all parts of the ground. And that's what really irks me in this whole situation. I don't know how will they handle this, but let's look at the players selected. Rohit as the captain, Rahul as his vice-captain, Shituraj Gaikwad getting a chance. So there was a choice between Gaikwad, Prithvi Shah, Shubman Gill, Yashashvi Jaiswal, Devdat Particle. Once again baffles me. Shreyas Ayer been there, done that. Surakumar, Rishabh, Ishan. Ayer, Chehel, Ashwin retains, surprisingly, then Aksa Patel replaces Jadeja, Avesh Khan, Bhameshwar Kumar, Deepak Chahar, Harshad Patel, Mohamed Siraj. Imagine if this was the team for the World Cup, add Kohli and Bumrah and Shami into this and Thakur. So 20 players, perfect team and you would have managed anyways. But don't be surprised if tomorrow, if next year, Kohli is not part of the 20-over World Cup team. I'm telling you for sure, Kohli will re- retire from 20-over World Cup within this year. It's how he will do it. Will he do it in a more casual manner, just doing it on pseudo-media or will he announce in front of the whole world and make it into some kind of a spectacular farewell as it happened in this World Cup. I don't know, but you could see this could be the team and add three or four more players to that World Cup next year. A strong team? I don't know. New Zealand has been called a strong team, but they have somehow made it to the Test World Cup final, the ODI World Cup final, and somehow they have made it to the 20-over World Cup final. So they are looking for a grand grand slam situation if the 20-over World Cup, if for me the 50-over World Cup is still a tie, no team won it. So let's not even get too carried away by it. I don't know what will happen in 12 months. Anything is possible in the next 12 months and we can keep debating on it. No Sanju Samson in this team. No Prithvi Shaw, if you want that kind of player, which is annoying. How do the selectors select when the selectors themselves have no credibility? So I wouldn't really give them the respect. I would have added three or four more players since you don't have the World Cup rule of only having 15 or 20. I would have added at least five more players to this. Chetan Sakarya, I would have added. I would have added a Priyam Garg. Abhishek Sharma, who were part of the 2020 Under-19 Youth World Junior World Cup. I would have added a couple of Archdeep Singh, Ravi Bishnoi. That would have been a surprise. There is no surprise in this. Yes, Ashar Patel and Abhishek Khan are the only surprises. Gaikbot has played for India a couple of matches. So only new players in terms of new players are Venkatesh Ayer, Avesh Khan and Harshad Patel. The rest of them, we all know who they are. They have played over 10-15 matches 
they have been part of the team in world cups and other tournaments and that's how it is and therefore this this selection would have been slightly better by adding totally fresh faces because right now they are playing this smart this so called domestic tournament but nobody cares about the sayyad mushtaq ali trophy sayyad mushtaq ali trophy nobody even knows if it exists it's only a contract contractual obligation that the broadcaster has to fulfill it's happening right now at 8 am in the morning and i'm sure half the world doesn't even know that tournament exists and that's how this tournament is but the players have been selected players have been rested dropped whatever this is the team in front of you who has to play against new zealand who will on after 14 come to india on 15 so they will be slightly tired in terms of travel and bubble and what not and let's see what happens but for now let's take a short break This ends episode number four four two on the twelfth of November. As just seven weeks remain to the end of twenty twenty one, and stay tuned for the next episode. For more awesome content, tune into the next episode of the Weekly Show. i will be back on the 15th of november with episode number 443 at 10:30 am ist but before that there's something special happening tonight i will be interviewing an author farooq donde talking about his book fragments against my ruin as part of the phoenix literature festival series and i will be live on the facebook and youtube channel of the phoenix literature festival at 8 pm tonight so don't forget to tune in and listen to this amazing interview it's at 8 pm phoenix literature festival youtube page interviewing a popular author so don't forget to tune in tonight with their episode 82 and while you wait for this episode which is just a few hours from now add these books to your must read books section 
the complete collected short stories, the fifth empire and beyond the TV, 33 cinematic productions that transform the silver screen. And while you do this, like and subscribe to this channel right now. I repeat, like and subscribe to this channel right now.